I'm feeling particularly excited today about this conversation, but mostly because tomorrow is a big day for me. You know what it is? I'd like you to tell me what it is. I turned 60 years. Oh, man. I'm almost as old as you. Sorry, a fishbone stuck in my throat. Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Howard Tybal. Uh, we're going to be talking about first team. Team number one. I'm very excited about this because you introduced this to me, and I immediately, hmm, I immediately have questions. Yeah, so many questions. There so many questions. This is a theme that seems to run headlong into uh, some other uh, large bodies of leadership uh, thinking. And so I'm excited to hear you parse uh, what is first team and how does it apply uh, to the workplace. Now, let's start by listening to Patrick Lencioni himself introducing his team number one concept. And I have to warn you before I play this clip, uh, he is standing in front of a whiteboard and he's drawing an organizational hierarchy. So at the top, you'll have one bubble representing the, the CEO or president, and then he'll have a number of uh, uh, bubbles down below that representing the, uh, the the primary team. And he'll walk through that. But he says this and they a lot. And what he's doing here is referring to these these bubbles. But if you imagine uh, a, a multiple level hierarchical organization chart uh, that should make it easier to hear uh, and understand what uh, Mr. Lencioni is talking about. Here you go. Let's say this is an org chart of an organization, and this is the CEO or the head of a division, and these are his or her direct reports. Maybe the head of finance, the head of human resources, operations, sales, um, IT, marketing, whatever they are. Team number one means that these people have to make this team their number one priority, and that these folks down here cannot prioritize their subordinates or their teams over this one. Let me explain why this is an issue. Let's call this the head of marketing, and these are his or her direct reports. If I were to ask many executives what their number one priority is, this team up here or the one that they manage, many of them with really good intentions would admit, you know, as important as this team is to them, this is the one they consider their most important priority because they sit near these people, they hired them, they really are interested in the subject matter, and they feel a sense of duty to them, and they like being their leader. Now, as, as natural and common as that is, it's actually very dangerous because when these people prioritize this group down here, this team becomes like the United Nations or Congress, where people are coming to meetings and lobbying for their constituents rather than looking out for the greater good. Credit to Mr. Lencioni for originating this concept of, of first team uh, linked to the short video in its entirety is in the show notes. Howard, let's talk a little bit about your work right now and what inspired you to begin talking about and expanding upon the first team in the context of higher education. Well, and again, the hat I want you to put on this conversation with me, Pete, is having been on a team, mm -hmm. you know, and, and having to deal with the craziness of coordinating across different groups and looking at your bosses and going, God, are you on the same page with your peers? Because it doesn't appear that way. The first team principle is, so imagine for a moment, you are thinking about the people that you have to be on the same page with. In a sense, your peers. 
Right. So if you work in a division that oversees administration, your first team are all the other peers that do different administrative tax, t- tasks in different organizations. On the academic side, if you are the deans of a university, you share coming together as deans. But when you think about what you do on a regular basis, your people think about what we have to do in colleges or arts and sciences, what we have to do in the school of business. What would it mean for the deans to think about themselves as being on the same page? And this is a provocative idea that Patrick Lencioni provided a number of years ago that I think is becoming even more important today. What do you think? Well, I'm, it's interesting to me. Where do you see the problems? Well, so my uh, in, question is, I'm going to stop you. Yeah, what's, it, what's interesting about it? Uh, first, I'm thinking about it from the bottom up. M- my experience, I have to go back. I think we've already covered. I have to go back a, a long way uh, in, in the old memory banks. Not as long as you, but long uh, to, to remember this. <laughs> Wait, that was a nice little dig there. That's good. Was, you see, it's a callback. Yeah. That's what we call a callback in the business. Um, I, uh, in my first experience in, and I'll say in higher education, I was in enrollment. I was on the enrollment team. And it was very easy for me to have a first team when I was on the enrollment team and a first team meaning, as you say, my peers, because I had nobody below me, right? I had nobody who's, who worked for me on the organizational chart. And mm-hmm. so it's really easy for me to, to imagine uh, that state of mind. It's very challenging or it becomes increasingly challenging as I look at my, uh, my history of promotions in, at the university to recall when that changed. Was it immediately my first promotion when I had people starting to work for me? Did it take a little while for me to actually start kind of um, incorporating that mindset uh, that my first team was the team that worked for me? I think it probably was. There was a, a point where I was introduced to this concept, and I think this is where where I, I run into a contextual challenge, uh, this concept of leading from the bottom up, right? Right. Uh, when I have a team of people who report to me, in this case, uh, you know, we'll say uh, directors of, of uh, admissions and, and directors of enrollment uh, for a geographic region that I was responsible for, okay, uh, all, all of these people report to me. I It was much easier for me to see myself as a servant leader, one of the team there, and a representative to the horizontal team that I was on. Right. So the other directors of, in, in my case, uh, you know, directors of enrollment, the directors of academic affairs, the directors of, of you know, all of the, the pieces where I was a peer, I never saw myself. It was much more challenging to see myself as a member of that team, uh, more like a representative. And I think, you know, you asked me to watch the Lencioni video, which we'll post in the show notes. Uh, he calls it uh, representation uh, to uh, akin to the United nations where you come and you battle for resources to support your team and i i struggle with that because i was there i was in that seat i was the person who was battling for resources for my departments and my department heads uh and now now we're having a conversation where that could be damaging and i'd like to hear more about how how you see that at the university of colorado boulder one of the things that the senior vice chancellor is actively working on Mm -hmm. is building a culture 
where when she says, what are we trying to accomplish? This means, what are we trying to accomplish for the university? If you're in IT and you report up in that structure and there's the head of IT, you have more than enough to, to do to take care of IT concerns. But there is such an interdependence between the work happening in IT, the work happening in enrollment management, the work happening in finance, that what's often missing because at the level of the leaders who oversee these these functional major areas, they are basically focused on vertically the things that their people have to get done. But what we talked about in this larger gathering that I'm seeing as being increasingly relevant for more and more campuses is what does it mean for IT to be paying attention to the kind of data and needs that enrollment management has? Often, this only comes up when we have a breakdown within our area as opposed to how do I show concern or put myself in the shoes of another group so that we can have a shared set of concerns. Think about goals. If I said to you, what are the goals of your team? Most people would say, well, here's our enrollment management goals. Here's our HR goals. Here's the goals that we have. Maybe if we're a dean, uh, the goals that I have as a dean for my faculty. But those are all vertical goals, right? Those, Those are all siloed goals. And as we move into the level of moving up to the chain of the senior leadership or would call the cabinet or the senior team of the university, there's university goals. So what's what this is provoking is how do we have concerns that are more related to the institution versus the needs that we have? Success looks like meeting our enrollment management goals. Success looks like meeting our IT goals. Someone, someone the other day said, oh my God, I can see how the hierarchy of our organizations promotes making it difficult for us to have institutional goals really being realized. Exactly. And that's where I think this is, I mean, when you talk about this and you mentioned CU as an example, go buffs, uh, there is a, (laughs) I have a real challenge because uh, it seems like, this is what I I mean by that sort of body of leadership knowledge, uh, that it, it requires a cultural change that is super intentional and directed because our instinct over the last 50 years of, you know, learning how to lead says, you know, we have to approach this from a a, a, a very sort of people-centric, right? We have to work on our our team and on being fostering growth individually. And that sort of presupposes that your team is the people that you are working with, not the organization first. As you were talking just now, I think that our our mindset is, who are we advocating for? And there is a presumption by, if so if I work in a department and there's 20 of us and I have somebody who oversees the department, I have an expectation that this person's going to advocate for our needs. One of the dilemmas that emerges as you bring in this principle of my boss that 
manages this tw- group of 20, then my boss is really going to be looking out for making sure he's or she's on the same page with his, his or her peers, which means where does this leave me, right? Am I being abandoned? And if you're going to bring this principle in, you have to recognize that people that report to you will understandably begin to question whether or not this means that you're no longer going to advocate, which is not the case. I think we have to recognize that we have to hold both. We have to hold the needs of our group, our team, but also have the needs of the institution be recognized. And that's not going to happen by looking vertically. It's going to be looking horizontal. It's frustrating. I, I can tell you, it's super frustrating to have this conversation right now, Howard, because, and I'm getting fired up because my memory <laughs> is I yeah. could have been so much better at my job if I'd been thinking about this 15 Say years why. ago. Because I just, I, I, it strikes me that that we lost a lot of efficiency in uh, weekly status meetings and weekly me- where we were all coming with the same intention to marshal resources in support of our departments nice. and not yes. as the institution as a whole. And I yes. think that is a miss. I could have been better. I could have been a contender, Howard. <laughs> you could have been. But you know what? If that if that if you had fixed that you and I would not be doing this. You'd be in some <laughs> cog and wheel, right? You wouldn't have become who you are right now. So that's right. That, that's true. Not ever learn this. That's right. <laughs> Say that I well, no, that you said that you could really could have been better. That you. But what's interesting is I I can already hear the voices and people listening to this saying, I understand the idea, but implementing this really requires care. Yeah, as what what I would yeah. be concerned about. If I'm reporting to somebody who's saying now, I we have everyone understands we should have institutional goals, but most of us really expect that our bosses are going to advocate for us. This forces a certain kind of caring that we need to bring to our work. It feels like we have to we have to uh, adopt an approach that allows us to think not just from the perspective of our, you know, first team as we're shifting this to the horizontal versus vertical prioritization, but also from, you know, what are the lessons and what is the mindset? What is the mood we want to instill Mm. in our, uh, do you say second team? Is that who that becomes? I think that would provoke an even more concerning mood. Yeah, right. You are now my second team. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. So, you know, what's fascinating is Lencioni provides is provoking us with an idea that he's not providing a solution to. But I can already see that the navigation of this really requires being in conversation at all levels. Some of these leaders that are in the organizations that I do work for across the country, some of them are not interested in being on the same page with each other. Yes. Their boss is like, oh, great principal, first team. But then you go down to the level of, I'm overseeing a particular area. You know what? I want to get my stuff done. I really don't care about what your needs are. So part of, part of this is not just opening people's eyes to say, you know what? I will make sure I'm taking care of you too, but I need to get on the same page with our peers. I think there needs to be a conversation among the leader. Are you really serious leadership team that you're going to behave this way? You know, one of the comments that 
came to me the last time I brought this up at a different institution. Someone said, you know, it's very clear to me the boss's boss really wants this. I'm not so sure the people that report to the boss are interested in being a first team, or at least not everyone. If you bring an understanding about what we're trying to do and getting on the same page, you open the door to say, listen, we need to find together as a leadership team how we're going to continue to build a culture that it's a we culture and not a me or an I culture. There is something to this idea, you know, as much as time as we spend kind of being the servant leader about turning that on its ear and saying uh, you have to make. So say, say more about servant leader. I just I keep hearing that and I know what it means, but why do you keep bringing up servant leader? This was a massive and, uh, you know, I got my master's degree in OD, right? Organizational design. And this is a massive sort of concept. It is the it's the Death Star looming over organizational design, right? Is servant leadership and from the 80s and 90s, and there's a lot of, of writing about it. It's this idea that, you know, you lead from the bottom up, right? That you are the carrier of ro- uh, mover of rocks and carrier of water. Uh, that, you know, anything that comes across the team that the team cannot accomplish, you exist to support and mm. and mitigate those obstacles and move them out of the way. And well, why is that? So how is that relevant to this? How does that tie to the first team for because you? Because making a change like this, where you suddenly, uh, and I'll say maybe not suddenly, but you come to this realization that you can get more done if you uh, increase affinity on this first team across the horizontal uh, scape, that you also have to make an equally concerted effort to empower down, to say, you know what, you guys who report to me, you are also a first team. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it yes. seems like you can mitigate a lot of the potential political challenges by l- teaching the same lessons you're attempting to learn as you make this shift. Well, that came up yesterday. Somebody raised their hand and said, so is there more than one first team? Right? Yes. And and the answer is yes. And I think that we we are we are too stuck on thinking about leaders like hierarchy. It's more like, you know, people say that, Everyone has a role in leadership, but it's more like if you have a first team, meaning the, the people that with, that are at the top level of whatever your organization is, and then you go down a level, you've got a set of peers who are responsible for maybe more of the implementation, right? Then what does it mean for you to be on the same page with the people who are actually at the implementation level, who are actually doing the work on a day to day basis? And that, that, that puts responsibility on you to actually look cross lines. One of the things that we did in this gathering is we brought different teams together to have conversations with each other, not just about first team, but what are some of the things that you have data-wise that would benefit us? And people are discovering that being data-informed doesn't mean just the data that we happen to have, but what is the data outside of our group? Because maybe that is the special sauce to be able to say serving across groups. So we had incredibly robust conversation around this idea of you in enrollment management may have collected and you have data that would help us in the finance division. I think when you when you decide to step into this conversation, 
you have to give yourself room to realize this is a great example of something that's not a problem to be solved, but this is a trust exercise, mm-hmm. right? This is going to force you in some sense. You know, people talk about how do you build trust? Well, one way you build trust is you make a decision that I'm going to trust. Another way is you put something real in place that, that actually pushes up against trust. Because one of the dilemmas, by the way, of saying, I'm going to be interested in your data or I'm going to ask you for your data is it's going to provoke for some, why do you want that information? How are you going to use it? Right? Right. Right. So there's a fear find- response, a very natural and, and, you know, ancient fear response. Right. Why I wanted to record this with you, Pete, and for our listeners, is I wanted anybody in this position, whether you think that you have a first team or whether you recognize that your leaders are not on the same page, how do you start thinking from the point of view of moving your organization in a direction where there's a greater breaking down of these aisles, right? Think about the aisles in between each each organizational area and how do we start really practicing living, working across groups? And it starts with your leaders, in my view, getting on the same page. Now, some people said, yeah, this is great, but what about the leaders' leaders, right? So if I'm talking to the business and find, if I'm talking to over, the, those that oversee administration, what about the cabinet? Because right. my boss's boss is on the cabinet. Is the, does the president or chancellor operate as the first team? And I just talked to another group today saying, we have never, not only have we never had that conversation, but I have never seen our leaders' leaders on the same page. They are all vying for their individual yeah. area. Again, and you know the what? United Nations marshalling resources for our own yeah. teams. And and for some, this is like, oh my God, this is exactly what's missing. And for others, they're going to have no interest in this. Because you know what it demands in terms of us as individuals? Giving up what? Control. Control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's scary. Because I might lose out. Then it becomes about winners and losers, right? If I can control my resources, my people, I have a greater sense that I can achieve my goals and, and what we all talk about, but now we got to put it in practice. You know, it's easy to say, I want us to be a team. It's another thing for us to practice this and be willing to, to, to show that maybe we need to be a little more open to others' concerns. And and this is a critical thing that I want to start seeing happen more in education leaders, not just saying it, but starting to put some action behind it. It it begs a question, to what end? Right? Uh, why are you try why do we exist in a space of competition around our work in higher education? Right. That's what we're talking about here. Right. I'm, I we don't have a culture of first team because we're all trying to accomplish our own goals. To what end? What does that mean? Uh, and 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 this is my I think that that why I had such a visceral reaction uh, to to it earlier on in our conversation, because the end that I wanted by achieving my goals so aggressively was actually the end of a successful experience at the university. Right. 
I want to have more students who are served better in, and achieve better degrees and, you know, more notable research and contribute to the world in a better place. It, what was I thinking that I and my, quote, own team were going to do it alone? If you are having trouble implementing this because you worry that it will impact your goals, ask yourself, to what end am I resistant to this? Shine a light on your fear of giving up control. Yes. Yes. Nice. That's really important. But here's what I'd say to you if you don't look at this. You are impeding the potential of achieving institutional goals, period. You are not going to be able to produce what you want if all you think about in isolation is what we have to get done. Your leaders have to decide because their leader says this is important, right? So when I think about a cabinet and a set of leaders on the cabinet saying, great principles, but I'm not going there unless my boss, unless the president or chancellor or whoever says to me, this is important for us. We need to operate as a first team and we need to explore what this means and why this is important. And I would suggest to you, most of the senior, senior most leaders do not do this do not have that conversation, a huge opportunity. And I would even say, even if your most senior leaders are not doing this, you still have an opportunity in the organization that you're in to demonstrate and be a role model for what it means to build a culture where even though you've got these hierarchies and you have the org charts uh, that, that limit what you can do structurally, you can break them down by starting to have conversation around this first team principle. I'll just reflect on this because I, I feel like, you know, coming into this conversation cold this morning, um, it, it gives me an opportunity to sort of both be uh, re-familiarized with the, the concept and to be sort of blindsided by it. So uh, if you are hearing this for the first time, I imagine you might reflect as I did. And uh, I would suggest that if you are provoked, just start talking about it. Open a conversation to not solve it, but to, but to frame it as a question. Yes. And then what I can promise you is in the groups that I've worked with, what you will get to when you get down to the first, third and fourth and fifth conversation is, here's how we can introduce this to our larger team. Here are some conversations we can have about how we're interconnected. Next thing you know, you are living this principle but then you got to decide if you want to go, you know, this is sort of like the rapids, right? Yes. You got to get on the boat and there's the rapids. You got to decide if, you know what? I'm willing to go there and I'm willing to let this get a little bit out of control and trust that I can go over the small little waterfall and still survive. It's a fantastic opportunity for a what if exercise. Uh, what if, what if we did things a little bit differently? Yeah. What if we looked at this and not have to figure it out? It doesn't, it doesn't need a commission. Yeah. I don't know what 60 looks like. It's coming. I, I don't think I can stop it. I, That's I was a freight thinking, train, man. That's a freight you know, train. It's funny. I, you know, I, I'm really actually excited about 2060. The years of ascension. Is that what that is? You're doing it. This is, these are, this is your time to give back. That's the era that you are in. Yeah. Well, my, but all I can tell you is my wife is just thrilled that she's younger than me. There you go. <laughs> Going watching me always have milestones first. Pioneers take the most arrows, Howard. This has been a uh, fantastic conversation. Thank you, sir, for your time and inspiration, as always. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this very 
podcast. We appreciate your time and attention. If you are inspired by what you have heard today, we encourage you to dig into the back catalog. We've got a whole bunch of episodes for you to to, to dive into and explore that are a lot like this with fantastic interviews. Uh, you can search for topics on the website or just start clicking and listening. On behalf of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Ryan. We'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Education. <laughs>